Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series in the hospitality tabletop industry. Hosted by Dave Turner, Seat Yourself is 20 to 30 minutes of what's happening in the world of hospitality tabletop. Dave is the globally known chief evangelist and editor for tabletopjournal.com. A non-traditional journalist, Dave has spent nearly 30 years as a sales and marketing executive in the world of hospitality. This podcast was originally published on the week of February 3rd, 2020, and runs for approximately 25 minutes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seat Yourself. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself, and I want to welcome you to this February 3rd episode, episode number 60, in fact. Seat Yourself is our approximately 20 to 25 minutes or so podcast on all things in the world of hospitality tabletop. This week, as we're preparing to head out to Frankfurt for this year's edition of Ambiente, we've got another great episode of Seat Yourself. And in our new segments, we'll give you our thoughts on the fast-moving coronavirus and how it's impacting the hospitality and food service sectors, both in America and around the world. We've also got a great news story of an international hotel group that is redesigning many of its hotels with a specific storytelling approach in mind, and just why they're taking that approach. And finally in news, we've got a segment from our Whatever Happened to Those Guys file. This may just be a great selling opportunity for a certain category of you tabletop suppliers out there, so you definitely want to check that out. And in our company and product news this week, it's all about Ambiente. And we've got a special announcement about next week's Seat Yourself, so you want to stay tuned for that. Our 60 Seconds of Shannon segment this week touches on a familiar category, glassware, but from a slightly different angle this time. Be sure to listen in as Shannon gives you her thoughts on this nimble category and what's up for the coming year in her mind. Shannon, of course, is the well-known category manager for tabletop and buffet wear at Chicago's Edward Don and Company. And then, to close it all out this week, our commentary segment is all about personal productivity and how you can improve yours and the impact that'll have on both your professional and your personal life. So I'm glad you've joined us on our episode number 60 of Seat Yourself. I hope you enjoy it. And as we always do here at Seat Yourself, we start with our stat of the week. This week, well, you might want to think of this as an opportunity stat, because this week's stat of the week is $45 billion. Yes, with a B, billion. That's the value of online purchases that Americans do after they've been consuming alcohol, with an estimated 79% of American adults that are drinking alcohol admitting to drunk shopping. All this helpful information comes to you from thefutureofcommerce.com. So, okay, I know you're probably thinking, why is this that important to seat yourself listeners? Well, more and more hospitality tabletop suppliers are searching for new sales channels, and we thought we'd like to let you know about this unique opportunity. And while, of course, websites leading the way on this type of inebriated shopping are all the likely suspects, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, etc. From that, I say, why not your website? Suppliers, I know what you're thinking. How can our company get in on some of this? Well, here's a few tips they offered on what to do to make your website and e-commerce platform a little bit more attractive. And they talk about it. Crucial elements are make it mobile friendly. Well, I think that goes without saying these days, but you never know. I think I don't know whether the article doesn't state whether the shopping is not on phone or online on a laptop. But either way, your website should be mobile friendly to begin with. They also say simple checkout. 
Allow one-click payments like Apple Pay, Amazon, PayPal, Venmo, whatever. And don't force people to sign up. Make, allow, uh, allow room for a guest checkout. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I hate having to fill out all kinds of information, and I love the guest checkout part. Another element that, say, is crucial to getting in on, getting in on some of this extra evening-type shopping is make it easy to save items to come back to, items that you might not want to purchase while you're sober. Another obvious uh, element is user-friendly navigation. I think that applies to all websites. With great content descriptions and compelling images are another part of being a successful element in getting to this type of shopper. And show customer reviews. I think that's interesting too. Um, most websites that I've been on in hospitality, uh, they don't have, if there is an e-commerce component to it, they don't show customer reviews. And I think that's important if you can have those on there. That's what people trust. And to be honest, most of these elements sound like common sense for anyone looking to do more e-commerce. But to be serious just for a minute, if you have an e-commerce component to your site, have you really taken a hard look at it lately? And I'm talking about even restaurant operators. Sometimes trying to buy a gift card for a friend or a relative on a restaurant website can be a terrible experience. For food service and hospitality suppliers, perhaps the time it's time to start being less practical and functional in how we present the website user experience and make it easier and a lot more fun. Just saying, there could be a great opportunity out there. And that's our stat of the week, 45 billion with a B. That's the amount of spend that Americans do while shopping and imbibing. Oh, and by the way, online purchasing hours peak between 8 and 9 p.m. And smart websites are beginning to offer evening sales. Just saying. And in news this past week, on a bit more serious note than our Stat of the Week segment, the news has been filled with updates on the coronavirus that has originated in Wuhan, China. Certainly, hospitality operators dependent upon Chinese tourism, they've been crushed. But with destination countries like Thailand finding that they've lost between 70 and 90 percent of their tourism traffic. And no doubt you likely have heard about the cruise ship with 7,000 passengers quarantined off Italy for several days before finally being released. And even after the Chinese woman behind the quarantine was found to have only the flu, there were protests demanding that all 700 Chinese passengers aboard the vessel be tested before allowing any of the 7,000 other passengers to disembark. Lots of reactions, many overreactions in all corners of the globe. All this for a virus that currently has no known cure. As of the end of this past Saturday, the number of confirmed infections across China had reached over 14,000, with over 2,000 severe cases and a little more than 300 deaths, China's official National Health Commission has reported. And all this, of course, is dependent upon the accuracy and the ability to identify and report these cases. And then, at least for now, you have that multiplier effect. While the majority of the impact of the coronavirus outbreak continues to be in China, it is quickly spreading beyond, and cases are being reported in nearly all areas of the globe, currently, it seems, Africa continent, the African continent as being the only exception. Make no mistake, there will be a lasting impact within the hospitality and the food service sector from this virus. Global travel has already been cut back by many airline carriers and cruise lines. Are all, they're all limiting their service. And Chinese tourism, of course, has been an economic leader for many countries. And now many destinations have serious declines in the number of Chinese tourists, along with the corresponding spend that these tourists make in each of these destinations. 
And you have some countries restricting or even declining to allow Chinese tourists entry, all because of the threat of the disease spreading to their area. Depending upon how this all plays out, our industry of hospitality and food service around the globe could take a dramatic hit. When just recently, there had been a rising optimism for global travel and tourism forecasts. And then there's also the supplier side. Many companies in our industry source products or at least components from the Chinese uh, producers. At a minimum, there'll be a delay in shipments. Think of container shipments of goods that are already on the water. Will they be allowed into port and be able to offload it? What about future shipments? Lots of questions on the operator side of the hospitality and travel industry and also the supplier side. And unfortunately, not many answers yet. Serious times, all this at a time when the Lunar New Year, one of the most important dates in the Chinese calendar, when millions of people from China travel home, all this happening at such a critical time. Certainly first and foremost from a human standpoint, and then secondarily from an economic standpoint, let's hope this virus gets contained very quickly. And in our next news segment, we'll change it up a little bit with a little bit of a more uplifting story. Surface Magazine recently published a story on how Renaissance Hotels has been working hard to localize its hotels. Renaissance, of course, is a brand in the Marriott portfolio with over 160 hotels worldwide. And as a brand, Renaissance tries to capture the essence of a city, even right down to the neighborhood that each property is in. The surface story focuses on several Renaissance properties, one in Minneapolis, another in Toledo, Ohio, another in Philadelphia, and even another in Dallas. And it goes into detail on why each property and its story were central to the recent renovations that these properties have all undergone. As an example, in Minneapolis, the Renaissance there is part of a former train depot. And local studio ESG architecture and design tried to capture the story of travel when undertaking the redesign that the property has recently undergone. According to ESG associate Mark Whitenack, we were really inspired by the local stories and the imagery of the historic depot and the train shed. We wanted to capture the excitement, the romance, and the sense of adventure from when experiencing travel was a big deal. That same type of localization went on with the renovation of the Toledo, Ohio Renaissance property as well. With its long history of glassmaking, the artistry of glassmaking and Toledo industry in general became central to the hotel's ambience from the moment you step into the lobby all the way up to the rooftop lounge. And the Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia and in the Dallas properties, the storytelling uh, continued. It was the same. The theme of telling the local story was critical to the redesign of each Renaissance hotel property in each of those cities. Which leads me to the concept of design playing a major role in the guest experience. Not only from the high-tech guest efficiency approach, but also from the emotional, how can we transport our guests into the local history, make them feel briefly a part of the neighborhood or the city approach. And this is where food and beverage, and of course tabletop, can come in. Experience localized menus, local foods, local beverages, and frankly, it seems like every city today and every neighborhood has a local craft brewery or a local distillery. This is all part of these hotels' individual stories. And tabletop suppliers need to consider how tabletop products can add to those stories as well. And what I mean by that is just thinking about 
What type of china, what type of glassware, what type of flatware do you have that will help to reinforce that feeling of local? All so that the hotel guests can, even ever so briefly, feel and understand what the local story of each hotel is trying to tell. You should check out the Surface Magazine story. There's a link to it on our industry news page of Tabletop Journal. And finally, from the Whatever Happened to These Guys file, Chuck E. Cheese recently named David McKillops as their new CEO. Frankly, I had forgotten all about Chuck E. Cheese, but Chuck E. Cheese is still doing pretty well. They've got 610 units, and they've got an affiliated chain with 128 units called Peter Piper Pizza. They're in 47 states and in 15 foreign countries. And you say, well, what the heck's Dave talking about Chuck E. Cheese for? Well, for all you tabletop people who are now finding your way into melamine and other type products, maybe, just maybe, Chuck E. Cheese ought to get on your uh, radar screen if it's not already. Just wondering. And that's all from the Whatever Happened to These Guys file. And this week in product and company news, well, it's all about Ambiante. As we prepare to head off to Frankfurt and the world's largest consumer goods trade fair, we're very excited to see the many new and exciting products that tabletop purveyors will have lined up to launch there. And already we've gotten a few peeks under the tent. and We know that Bauscher has some really interesting new designs. And of course, APS, the buffet aware people we spoke about last week, they've got some great new products as well. And a question we're always going to have for APS is how quickly Libby will have those products here in North America. We're looking forward to seeing and very excited to see Rack's new Rack Stone product as well. Rack always has a plethora of new products at Ambiante. And we expect that while they have their new Rack Stone as their centerpiece, I doubt it will be their only new product introduction. So we'll look for other things as well. And of course, is Figio. This will be their initial step onto the exhibition stage at Ambiante, and we're very excited for them. We look forward to seeing the newest out of Norway from this top quality and top design driven company. And of course, it goes without saying that there's always something interesting happening at Steelhead International, so we'll be very interested to see what's new. Perhaps Catherine Horan will have some of her new introductions that she hinted about at last fall's host show in Milan. And beyond that, with its new financial partner, Arbor Investments, you would not surprise me to see Team Steelite make a bit more noise this year than usual at Ambiante. We'll just have to wait and see. And of course, last but not least, there'll be Mikasa Hospitality. We're definitely looking forward to see what they're all about now. Having launched last year in May at, and, uh, at NRA in Chicago, Mikasa Hospitality has been working hard on finalizing their initial product offering, getting their sales team in shape, and taking those first crucial steps in establishing the new Mikasa brand in the global food service and hospitality sector. Best of luck to the team at Mikasa Hospitality. There'll be much more, of course, and my guess is there'll be more than a few surprises along the way. So if you're a company making noise at Ambiante with an announcement of a new product or a new product launch, make sure you let us know so that we can stop by and check it all out. And we've got our own special announcement. Next Monday, Seat Yourself will be another special edition. We'll be recapping some of the highlights of what we've seen at Ambiante with hopefully a surprise guest or two for you as well. And if you're attending Ambiante, don't forget the Horeca Academy that's being conducted right on the exhibition floor in Hall 6.0. It starts each day at 11 a.m. and finishes with a cocktail reception late in the afternoon. Ambiante 2020, Horeca excitement like never before. And we'll be bringing it all to you 
all right from the floor of the exhibition on next week's Seat Yourself. Now 60 Seconds with Shannon, where Dave sits down with Shannon Talon of Edward Don and Company and asks the question of the week. This week, Shannon discusses this year's trends in glassware. Hi, everybody. We're back here with Shannon Talon. Shannon, of course, is a lovely, the talented uh, category buyer from uh, Edward Don and Company. Shannon handles both the tabletop and the buffetware categories at Edward Don. And Shannon, today I've got a, a another glassware question for you. And the question really is, is that we've talked about the velocity of the replacements being much higher in glassware than they are in dinware or flatware. But when that, how does that impact on trends in glassware? Do they come in more quickly and uh, or disappear or whatever uh, more rapidly than in dinware or flatware? And second part of that question is, do you see things trending upwards in terms of quality in glassware or turn trending downward? Wow, what a, that's a uh, there's a few really great questions in there. So <laughs> you, you asked about uh, we didn't give you the easy ones today. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I like a challenge. Uh, so I think first you asked about trends. I do think that glassware is a little bit more of a nimble category. I think that's partly due to the fact that there is manufacturing in the U.S. and so product is a little bit more accessible than product that's being you know sourced from overseas. Uh, and so again, there's that 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 flexibility or ability to be nimble there. Some a lot of times minimums on glassware uh, can be a little bit more digestible if you're doing a custom or proprietary piece compared to some of the other tabletop and front of house categories. Uh, so in in that way, I think trends can change more quickly, but we don't always see that. I mean, a lot of the glassware we're seeing in the market today, the cut glass look, still that vintage look, it's been around for a while. And we've talked about that before. So it's it's it, it's had some staying power, but the manufacturers certainly have that flexibility. In terms of, uh, I think the second thing you asked about was quality. I think that it's less about the operator looking for a less expensive or lower quality glass because they, they don't want to sacrifice quality because that's just going to lead to more breakage and over time, potentially more cost uh, if you have to replace it more often. But I think that as operators, as their, as their budgets are tightened more and more across all elements of their business, glassware manufacturers are trying to bring more cost-effective solutions to the market without sacrificing that quality. So the biggest example that comes to mind is the some of the stemware, the new stemware that is being introduced in the market that has, you know, thinner stems, a sheer rim, but it's soda lime glass. It's not a crystal, it's not a crystalline product. And we're seeing the same in tumblers. So I think the glassware manufacturers are reacting to uh, operators just having their budgets tightened everywhere. And trying to give them a quality product, but for a lower price point that isn't going to give them more breakage and more headaches. So I, I think that's really what we're seeing. I, I don't think operators want to sacrifice quality. They just have to be mindful um, of the of the budget. And for me in glassware, it still comes down to a very subjective taste of what the operator is looking for, whether that is in wine glasses and whether they want to have the right glass for the for the right varietal, or they want an all-purpose glass. If they want to have those that trendy barware, trendy tumblers, or if they just want to have a clean sort of traditional but modern straight-sided look, I think there's so much subjectivity uh, across the operator base that we see the manufacturers reacting to that as well. And then, as you've pointed out many times before, in the glassware category, service is such a differentiator. It absolutely is. It's it's critical in glassware. Now here's Dave with this week's commentary. 
This week, Dave talks about increasing your personal productivity. Hi, everybody. In today's commentary, I want to make it personal. And I want to talk about productivity. And while I believe in teamwork and team productivity, ultimately it comes down to individuals and what we all can contribute to our teams and our own achievements and successes. Both professionally and personally, our own personal productivity is critically important to helping us to achieve all our goals. And when it comes to personal productivity, I believe that a lot of how productive we are depends upon our outlook. And yes, there are some physiological connections to the state of our body's overall health to throw in there as well. But the great news is, how productive we are depends mostly on us. And that means we are in the driver's seat for determining our own productivity levels. So today, I have five tips to remember when it comes to keeping our own personal productivity levels at their peak. These tips are from organizational behavior expert, Laura Stack, and you can find her online at theproductivitypro.com. And I've added my personal thought to each of her tips. I hope she won't mind. Anyway, here are her five tips for maintaining your top personal productivity. Number one, personal energy. Manage your own personal energy. Now, I really believe this has to be a big part of our everyday routines. If there are times of the day when we're usually at our best, we need to do our difficult tasks in that time window. And if there are people in all our lives who drain us, we must try to limit our exposure to them, especially when we have difficult tasks at hand to take care of. We need to become the managers of our own personal energy levels. Number two, willpower. We must take charge of our willpower. Decision-making takes willpower, and each decision that we do uses up a piece of our inventory of that willpower. So developing routines, routines that we don't have to think about, saves some of our personal inventory of willpower for those important decisions that will certainly come our way each and every day. So let's take charge of our willpower. Tip number three, motivation. We must find our true purpose for the work that we do. What drives us? What's our why? What is it that makes us bring our A-game each and every day? We need to make sure we understand what it is about our daily professional challenges that we absolutely love and remind ourselves of that why when the mundane and everyday tasks come about. We need to find our true purpose for all the work that we do. Number four, alertness. Although getting proper rest is important, there's no doubt. You need to be rested and mentally alert when taking on your day. But I would also add that we need to be present in those discussions that we have, particularly those discussions of those all-important individual discussions that matter really so much. After all, we've all had discussions with a boss who was looking right at us, but yet mentally was a thousand miles away, right? Don't be that person. So remember, alertness is a key to personal productivity. And tip number five, and perhaps the most important, optimism. In today's world, remaining optimistic can be tough. There's bad news all around us, and we can find it without hardly any effort at all. But we can also find the good things as well. Let's remember what we're truly grateful for, and let's make sure our mental voice is reminding us of just how good a people we really are. Now, none of us should be naive. Business today moves faster and is tougher than it's ever been. 
But all that's okay because we're pretty damn good too. And we've got a plan. It's our personal plan of why we do what we do. And we've got a plan of where we're headed, right? Staying optimistic is a fundamental part of maintaining our peak personal productivity. So that's it. Five quick and easy tips. And for many of us today, much of our personal identity comes from our professional lives and what we produce in terms of results and what we contribute to our teams. Let's be the best us that we can be. The same is true on our personal side of our lives as well. Our personal productivity is a key to achieving all we want in life, both professionally and personally. So let's be the best we we can be personally as well. And a great way we can do that is by working hard to maintain our own peak personal productivity. I hope these five tips have helped. I want to thank Laura Stack and hope she doesn't mind that I gave my personal thoughts on each of her five tips. And again, you can check out her website at theproductivitypro.com. I'm Dave Turner. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Seat Yourself. And as always, I want to thank the Rockstar Category Manager, Shannon Talon, for joining us today. And of course, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in as well. And finally, I want to make a special thanks to the Edward Don and Company for sponsoring in part this episode of Seat Yourself. Edward Don and Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And remember to be sure to check out their most recent Tabletop Advisor. You can download it from their website, www.don.com. Just go to the homepage and scroll down to the publication section. We'll see you next time, but always remember, Tabletop Matters. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com.